meal and some Sunday rest. So, appreciate each one. All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to take a look at a couple of very famous fellows tonight. Uh, They're well known in the Bible. We don't know their name. We don't know much about them. But they were present at one of probably the, I guess, uh, you can't really separate the birth of Christ or anything he did from his death and resurrection. You say, well, this one's more important. That It took all three. Uh, it took four or five or six in one sense. What I mean with that, it took a virgin birth. It took a sinless life. It took a complete total sacrifice, surrender on the cross of Calvary, and it took a resurrection and an ascension for us to have our salvation. You realize it took all of those things. If Jesus would have never ascended back to heaven, I don't know why I'm fighting with this thing. Let me get this thing out of my way. Um, but uh, the Holy Spirit couldn't have came. Uh, and that's why we have him today. If Jesus would have stayed on earth, we wouldn't have received the gift of the Holy Spirit because Jesus would have still been here. So it, it takes all of those things for us to have the gift of salvation. So there, I guess there's not one more important. But the point is, uh, probably the most publicized and the most uh, gathered part, I guess, of Christ's life was at the crucifixion. There were more spectators there for that than any other part. Now granted, we know the heavenly host was there at his birth. We see that they were the angels announced his birth to the shepherds. But I don't think a whole lot of people knew about that. Thank you, brother. Uh, was present for it. Um, but here we know a great crowd was God, seeing that, uh, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, are we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man have done nothing amiss. Thank you for what we feel and hear and experience when we come to your house and meet together. God, there's no other assembly on earth in the history of the world that's ever been like the assembly of the God, I thank you for what we've experienced here in ours. God, I pray this evening, Lord, that you help me as I preach this message, God. Lord, help me to preach as though there was 5,000 people sitting here. Lord, we want to honor you no matter what. God, I remember the times in my life, Lord, early on when I first announced my call to preach, God, Lord, you've taken my mind back. Lord, I'd go out in the woods, Lord, and I actually practice preaching. God, I remember the first message I ever preached, Lord, without going over it first like that. I still recall it to this day. God, I thank you for those times I got to spend with you. God, I know that 
some people it may seem silly, but God, I, I sure enjoyed those times alone with you. And God, I thank you for your presence. You've been with me every step of the way of my life, God, and everything I've done. And Lord, I pray and I ask that you be with us out this evening as we go through this message. Please, God, put my thoughts in order, clear my mind of every distraction, forgive me of any sin that could hinder this message. And we thank you and we praise you. In Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. No, it may be a little different prayers as to what was kind of on my heart. But as I've already mentioned, um, these two fellows, against their will, was present at the greatest spectacle that I think that's ever been publicly put on display in the history of the world. Um, I don't think of anything else that I know that was more, the magnitude was as great as this. I know that Evil Knievel drew some large crowds to those of you that's heard of him. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, I can give you some that you have, some rock bands or, or whatever it may be, country bands or whatever the thought may be, a movie, a movie star, something else. Um, I, I can say her name a lot of things. Uh, do you know that one of the main reasons Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus shut down and went out of business is they said because you can't keep kids' attention any more than 30 minutes nowadays. Because all the kids have been learned, they've been programmed on, dare I say we have a TV sitting in the middle of our church, but uh, TVs, computers, phones, tablets, uh, social media, uh, visual entertainment of the video sort. And so it's hard to keep their attention. Well, believe it or not, uh, even this, uh, the, re the reason Romans chose crucifixion was because that it kept the crowd's attention long enough. Uh, they, they experimented with different types of death of capital punishment. Uh, just to name some, uh, some of them uh, they drug with horses. Some of them they pulled in two with horses. Uh, they impaled people on a post uh, in different ways. There was actually a post designed and some, uh, some people did this. They would set you down on that post and you would slowly... Uh, keep sliding down that post would impel you to the point that eventually kill you. It was a very cruel death. But it happened sometimes the timing wasn't where they needed to be to keep the crowd enthused and excited. Crucifixion they came to realize was the perfect blend of, of pure pain and punishment and to entertain the crowds for the length of time. And you think about that that's, that's a very cruel sick way of thinking about history and thinking about our life but that is how we have gotten to where we are today. And today, the form of capital punishment, which I'm sorry if you don't, I believe it's biblical and I still believe in it. Uh, if you say, oh, how's that biblical? Well, uh, if you remember back in the Old Testament, yeah, I know we're living in the New Testament. The Old Testament's part of the Bible too. Uh, they, if, if a child or even an adult did something worthy, they would get rocks put upside their head. If you remember, Achan stole God's tithe and so and he hid under his tent and God said, okay, that's a game you want to play? Fine, we'll play. He was called out and as you know, him and his family, his animals, everything that he absolutely owned was took down uh, to the valley and they stoned every one of them to death. So we see that death and punishment is nothing new in the Bible. But here what I want to focus on this evening, just all that for a way of introduction to get you thinking about the crucifixion for a minute. And, and, and the punishment that ensued with it. I want to focus on these two fellows for a little bit. In between them hung the greatest man that's ever lived. And none are greater than Jesus Christ. He was perfect in every way. Everything he did was right. 
as I've said many times, he never had to apologize for anything he ever did. He never had to go back and correct himself. He didn't have to redo anything. He never asked himself that I do the right thing. There have been decisions I've made in my life and I've had to ask other people, do you think I did the right thing? Did I handle that the right way? Uh, sometimes when I preach a message, I'll ask my wife on the way home uh, about certain things I said or didn't say or I may ask my parents or I've even asked some of you occasionally. And by the way, I usually wait a little while because what you don't realize, a little word of advice, if you don't care, let me step out here just for a minute. Be very careful what you say to a preacher after he has preached for a while because you don't understand or realize we are carrying the weight of this message on our shoulders for a few hours and we're very vulnerable. When I preach, I give you everything I've got. You may not realize it, but I do. A preacher empties himself out to you. And so anyway, I don't know why I went into all that. But here, let me get back to the message. We see these two fellows. And let me point some things out to you that I'm going to give you a little bit of an outline and hopefully you'll get some help from this and we'll go home. In verse 39, he says, One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Well, here we have one fellow who said, You know what? I don't want Jesus for anything that he can do for me other than deliverance so I could go on living a life of sin. I don't admit anything I've done is wrong. I don't care what I've done to hurt people. I don't care how I've affected people. I could care less what the consequences are. I just want out of this situation. You know, it's amazing to me that somebody had been found guilty of a capital punishment and here he had found guilty of a crime, worthy of death, and yet I see absolutely no repentance, no remorse for anything he did. It's just simply, get me out of here. And so we see that he railed on Jesus. Imagine this hanging there and you're in his awful shape and you have a chance to possibly be saved, your eternal soul, and instead of looking to that, you reject it and you rail on him. You make fun of him, you belittle him, and you put him on the same place as you. Verse 40 says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Doest not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the greater or in the same condemnation? They were in the greater condemnation because Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. Then let me get a drink. And so they have here this opportunity to uh, get things right. So the, the first guy, you could say uh, that he rejected Jesus Christ. Number one, that we see a rejection. Failed on him. Notice all these words. It's going to start with the letter R this evening. So uh, he rejected him. And the other guy in verse 40 says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Doest not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So number uh, two, he run to Jesus. We could say, start out, well, let me back up in way of introduction, both of them run to him. Number one, both of them run to him. I got ahead of myself, I'm sorry. I got it written right there. I don't know why I did that. Uh, both of them run to him, and we see two different reactions to what they have. One of them railed on him, and one of them uh, received him. But the two reactions, even between them two, the one fellow rebuked the other. I don't know their names, Jim Bob or Bob Joe. I couldn't tell you the Bible doesn't say, and I doubt history ever let us know. It doesn't matter. But we know that these two fellows here was in an awful situation. They had one hope, one chance of ever getting out of anything they ever did in their life. And one of them blew it. Both of them knew that death was coming in the next few hours. Once you were nailed to the cross, the only way you came down was to take your dead corpse and throw it into a pit with other dead corpses. And so uh, they, the chance they had 
What's Jesus? But the others, other said, hey buddy, don't you realize what we've done here is wrong. What we've done, we're paying for this, for our wrongs, but this man has done nothing. In verse 41 he said, we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. So we see that here in life, we receive the rewards of the things we do. I preach this a lot. I tell people all the time, yes, God will forgive you. I mentioned this morning, yes, God will forgive you of your sins, but you receive the rewards of your actions, good or bad. We are, those are ours. Yes, God will forgive us, but the responsibilities of what you did lie on you, friend. I see people all the time. I've used uh, different illustrations of people that I know who have sinned and done wrong, and, and yet God forgave them, but the consequences of what they did is still there. It won't leave. I've told young people after young people through the years, I said, yes, God forgave me of what I did, the mistakes I made, the thing, the sins that I committed, the experimentation with sin that I did that I thought was fun and having been cool and just enjoying life. I live with that every day of my life. You know, God forgave me, but the consequences and the pain and the penalties of what I did, I live with every single day that I live. I have regret and sorrow that will never go away, that will never fully heal because of the sins that I did that I thought would not harm me in my life because I was a teenager, because I was young. I didn't realize how it was going to affect me years down the road. So we receive the rewards of what we do. And that's what these two fellows were doing. They were receiving the rewards of what they had done. So number one, we see they ran to Jesus. Number two, we see the first guy rejected Jesus. And notice verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So number three, we see one received him. One rejected, one received and he asked him to remember him when thou comest in thy kingdom. He didn't realize that Jesus in one sense was in his kingdom. <laughs> Let me back up there just for a second. I want to point something out to you in saying that. I want to try to teach you something just for a minute. Do you realize who this world belongs to right now? Say it loud. This is Satan's kingdom right now. If you remember, Satan took Jesus up on the, uh, the mountaintop and said, if you'll bow and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. If he, had, if he was offering them to him, they had to belong to him. I know that God makes this world turn. I realize what God says goes. I'm not arguing that and I'm not disputing that. But what I'm simply trying to make a point here, explain something in the middle of this. To, let me slow down. In the middle, I'm trying to learn to enunciate. In the middle of this and teach you is that this world is Satan's kingdom at this time. Jesus' kingdom was in heaven. That is his kingdom. He left his kingdom to come here for you and I and for these two fellows. And do you understand, this man met Jesus in the most vulnerable time of his life, the most submissive moment of his life, the greatest spectacle of love that's ever taken place in the history of the world and returned around and rejected him and died and went to hell and he was within arm's reach of Jesus. He rejected the very one who gave him life who offered him eternal life. And we see that he had the opportunity. 
How many times in our life have you and I received the rewards of Jesus, and, or I mean, I'm sorry, of our sins, and we didn't run to him like we should have to receive forgiveness like we need. We reject what he says. We reject the word of God, and we try to leave with our sins and stay there and try to make it work, and it will not work, and we can be within arm's reach of him all the while because we are focused on the kingdoms of this world. Satan rules this world. If you don't think he does, Rex has 855 news apps on his phone he can tell you about. He ain't got that many, but he's got a few. (laughs) I'm trying to help him to turn that stuff off for a while and throw it down. My advice, turn the... Do what? My advice, turn it off, ignore most of it, and get in the Word. That's, that's just a side note, Rex. That was our personal message to you and I. But, but here we see that this man acknowledged Jesus in the right way. I don't know how much he knew about Jesus. I don't know if he had ever heard of him before. I got a feeling both of them had. He was the most famous polarized person around in the country at this time. Nobody else was more well known than Jesus. Do you realize everywhere he went, people thronged him, crowds come around, they said, touch me Jesus, heal this one, heal that one, give me this, give me that. So everywhere he went, his popularity grew in three and a half years. I believe he was known to the known world. Everybody knew who Jesus was. So I got a feeling these two fellas knew who Jesus was. The one fella probably realized and knew that Jesus could work miracles if he wanted to. He could have got them all three off that cross and set them on their way but yet he didn't do that because there was one thing they had to do and that was confess their sins and you and I must run to him and realize sometimes we have sinned as Christians and we must receive his forgiveness and receive the reward of his forgiveness and get away from the reward of our sins every now and then because we'll always suffer a penalty for that Lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, can anybody finish it? It bringeth forth death every single time. So we see two fellows here. Physically, both of them were getting ready to die. Spiritually, one of them lived on. I imagine... I've thought about different things go through my mind, and God shows me things sometimes while I'm preaching. He just showed me this. I don't know that this will happen this way. Humor me. You don't have to agree with me. You can't prove me wrong and I can't prove me right. So we're just going to go with it. But imagine standing one day at the great white throne of judgment. Everybody remembers who's there for judgment, right? That's the lost. And this one fellow that received Jesus Christ is standing behind God There comes the other male factor's turn to be judged. I think sometimes that God will allow him to step out and the two men will see each other for the first time again face to face. And the one man that rejected Jesus Christ will realize more than he's ever realized before the wrongs that he's done. And he'll think, I was that close. 
I was that close to having eternal life. I was that close to being forgiven for receiving eternal reward, for receiving the reward of forgiveness and receiving the reward of redemption. And, and I, I was that close and I rejected it and now I'm bound for a lake of fire for eternity. That close. I don't know that it'll happen that way. But I don't know that it won't. So here we see that somewhere this fellow knew that Jesus had a kingdom. And he knew it wasn't of this earth. He knew the man hanging beside of him wasn't of this earth. One, they ran to him. Both of them run to him. Two, one rejected him. Three, one received him. Number four, both of them relied on him. It's just a difference in how they relied on him. Let me finish reading to you here real quickly this last verse and I'll explain to you what I mean. I'm going to read verse 42 again. And when he said unto Jesus, Lord, notice he acknowledged him as Lord. If you're going to get anything from Jesus, the first thing you're going to do is acknowledge him as Lord. Once you are saved, you must acknowledge him as Lord to be saved. Once you are saved, you must acknowledge him as Lord of your life. In other words, what he says goes. That he's God and he rules and he reigns and I submit myself to him. I surrender myself to him. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it may be sometimes, no matter what the road ahead is, no matter how impossible it may seem, I must submit and surrender myself to God and say, God, what you say goes. If this is the way you want it, this is the way it is. If it means living in our car, if it means living somewhere under a rock, then so be it. I must obey God and what he says all the time. And nothing else. He said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He was saying, Lord, when you get there, would you please ask the Father to forgive me? I think this guy heard the gospel somewhere in life. I believe somewhere previously he had met Jesus and his disciples. I don't know where. But he had to know something or he couldn't have worded things the way he said it. Somewhere along the line, this guy had something revealed to him that told him who he was dealing with and it wasn't just another prophet. It wasn't just another preacher. It wasn't just someone else that coming down the road. This was Jesus, the ruler of all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great God Almighty, the one who lived and died for you and I and rose again, the one who gave us eternal life, the one who left heaven for you and I, who hung on a cross and gave us his hope, gave us his uh, home there in the sky with him one day. They Thank God he knew who he was. He knew he was Jesus. Verse 43, and he says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So as I said, number four, they both relied on him. Number one, the one fellow relied on him for some kind of reward to get off that cross. He didn't care about who Jesus was. He didn't care about what Jesus had to offer eternal life. He cared about one thing, himself. He was wrapped up in himself and no one else. He didn't care about anybody. He didn't care that he had done wrong. It didn't matter to him that he had sinned against God and harmed people. It didn't make any difference what he had done to anyone. He cared about one thing. And he was relying on Jesus to get him out of that situation. This is why I call sometimes people having a situation salvation. They're in a bad situation. They're in a bad way. The dog died. The cat's got cancer. And, and I mean, the, the milk's running dry in the cow. My wife left me and I got a flat tire in my car. God, help me get out of this situation. 
I'll serve you, Lord, if you'll help me. There ain't a bit of, bit of truth in that and a man in the moon. They care about one thing, getting out of that situation. They care about one thing, relying on God for a spare tire. Relying on God to get them through that situation. I've seen it so many times in my life. People come to an altar, they cry, and they cry out to God, and they, you see them about two more services, maybe, maybe three weeks, and then they never darken the door again, and the CIA and the FBI cannot find them anywhere. The special forces can't locate them. A satellite can't find them nowhere, let alone another church member would like to invite them back to church. God didn't pull them through the way he wanted, so they didn't need him no more. Then we see the other fellow. And this is what I want to finish with. This is what I want you to get. He relied on him for what he could not do himself. There was no way this guy could change his situation. He couldn't save himself. He couldn't get forgiveness of himself. He couldn't do anything about his situation. He was receiving the just reward for what he had done. And there was no way he could change it. But he relied on Jesus to change him, not the situation. Sometimes you and I can't rely on God to change the situation. We got to rely on him to change us. You know, there's been times in my life that my heart was broken too. My world was torn apart. And I didn't feel like I could do a thing about it. I had no answers. I didn't know where I was going to turn. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew life was letting me down, and I knew that I was let down. And a lot of times it was due to my own doing. It was my own fault. Sometimes it wasn't. There's some things in life that's just called a fact of life. It's just that simple. There's another way to say it. You say God had a plan. Yeah, God does have a plan. I'm not arguing that. But there's some things that's a fact of life, and there's nothing you can do about it. But trust God and say, God, get me through this. I, look, the situation may not change, but your heart can sure change. And you can lay down and go to sleep at night, and you can rest easy and wake up the next morning and eat a big full of breakfast, and your stomach not be in knots because of your nerves torn to pieces, worried about something you can't change. Rely on Him. So, number one, you need to run to Him. Don't reject Him. Receive Him and rely on Him. I can't guarantee you that what you want is going to happen. I'll say this and I'm done. Dale Cable, most of you have never met him. Some of you have heard me mention his name before. Uh, some of you may know him. I don't know. I'd like to get him here sometime. It's just never worked out. Do what, huh? Dale's been here? Okay. Well, uh, my memory ain't always the sharpest. But he's been here then. So y'all, most of y'all have met him. Let me go on with my story. God was calling him to be a missionary to Bolivia. And he had given him every reason to go. And Dale kept giving God every reason not to go. So finally, one night, he was up in the middle of the night praying and said, God, if you'll just show me, I'll go. And God told him to open his Bible. And I don't remember which gospel account it was, but to the crucifixion. And all them scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and all those haters of Jesus stood by and said, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. God looked at Dale and said, if I would have came down off the cross, would they have believed me? And he said, no, Lord. They wouldn't have. He said, that's right. And neither will you if I show you one more time. He said, I've showed you all I need to show you. I don't know what else I can show you. 
And Dale said, you're right, Lord. And he surrendered that call. And he up, plucked up his family, resigned as a pastor of a church, moved to Bolivia, and spent a few years there as a missionary. Now, he works in Cuba and also goes to Panama some and um, Brazil with help ministries. He's got his own thing, but he works with them. And because he went to Bolivia, there was something he had to do. He had to learn the language. You know what's... Uh, language they speak in Bolivia, it's not English. Spanish. Espanol. And he learned Spanish. And that allowed him to do the work he's doing now in Cuba and these other places. He can speak Spanish as quick as he can English. Now he's from North Carolina and he's a hick like us, so no doubt it's hillbilly Spanish. But he speaks it fluently. He said, if I would have never went to Bolivia, I couldn't do the work I'm doing now. And God has used him mightily. Let me ask you a question. What is it that God has asked you to sacrifice, to rely on him for, and you keep finding reasons to say, Jesus, if you'll come off the cross, I'll believe you. You know good and well, it's not going to make a bit of difference. It's not going to change a thing. Either we believe him or we don't. Not for what he can do, not for what he can get us out of, not for what he can carry me through, not for what he can give me for him. Believe him for him first and say, Lord, remember me when thou comes thy kingdom. I want to rely on you, Jesus. I don't know exactly what you want me to do. I don't know how you're going to come through. I, this situation is impossible. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I don't know what I'm going to, what's going to happen. But I've got to trust you. And that's what we do. Father, we thank you again for this time together. And Lord, I pray. God, I pray that this was, was pleasing to you and honorable to you, Lord. I God, you know I struggle sometimes with God knowing that, Lord, that I've preached what you want me to the way you want me to do it. God, you know all the reasons why. Lord, this evening I pray that, God, you do with this message, but only you can. I pray, God, that it made sense to people. I pray, God, it spoke to hearts. Now, somebody in here needed to hear this, and I don't know, maybe everybody did. God, I don't know who all did. God, I did, even myself. And I thank you for it, God. I praise you for it. And God, I pray that, Holy Father, that you take these few words and you put them together the way that they need to be in people's hearts and minds. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us the way you have. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, your name I pray. Touch hearts as they need in Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you stand, we get a song.